Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Transmission incoming. Over. Copy that. Transmission received. You're listening to the Patriot Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. On today's episode, we have a very special guest named Steve Stockton. Steve is an author who has wrote Strange Things in the Woods and My Strange World. He also has two YouTube channels called National Park Mysteries and 13 Past Midnight. In this episode, Steve talks about some odd encounters that he's had throughout his life. But before I tell you any more and before we get started, I have a quick message from our sponsor, Patriot Resume. If you've been affected by COVID-19 and are without a job like many, 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 many other, other Americans, then having a resume that will stand out above everyone else's is a must. So head on over to PatriotResume.com and get started on your new resume that will be a cut above the rest. And without further ado, welcome Steve and welcome to the show. The other version of the video that you know, we've already referenced a few times exists somewhere and is still secret. That's what is remote viewing. That, that just seemed really curious to me too. This show is called Skinwalker Radio. And they love hinting that there could be something. You, know, you see these patents online for warp drive things. Massive amounts of energy. Quite convinced that there were some very weird and unexplained things going on there. There is naturally occurring phenomenon out there. A well-attested scientific evidence that shows that the stuff is real. Uh, these phenomena are going to show up with normal analytical methods. Welcome to Skinwalker Radio. All right. So, yeah, I'll, uh, I got it recording. So... The uh, the idea of this podcast is that, you know, I just have people on such as yourselves and uh, I like to learn about your work. So I do a lot of podcasts with people who are uh, in the paranormal UFO type uh, of world and that's something I'm interested in. You know, I mean, I never really set out to do a podcast based on uh, the paranormal and, and, you know, the weird fringe type things, but mm-hmm. you know, here I am. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I kind of approach it a little bit differently than the others. You know, some of them are all about kind of the woo woo stories. What I like to do is I like to kind of approach it from more of a objective analytical point of view rather than just, uh, regurgitating old stories, I guess, you know, and I can't help that because I was a a military intelligence guy in the air force for a while. And that's just how I'm wired, you know? And, uh, so I, I like to hear the stories, but I also like to kind of put puzzle pieces together and kind of see where everything fits. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, uh, a lot of this stuff fits together pretty nicely. You know, I mean, it kind of sounds like random stories, but really, if you kind of dig into all this stuff enough, then you kind of start seeing parallels and, and uh, little puzzle pieces and light bulbs flash, which is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. How did you get involved uh, in the line of work that you're in now? Well, I um, grew up hearing a lot of stories. So I grew up in the South in the Appalachians and uh, just great oral tradition down there a lot of a lot of storytelling a lot of things passed on and I always went for the weird stories i wanted to hear the the ghost stories and the things slotted in the woods and stuff like that so there was 
no lack of those kind of stories. And um, I had some uh, personal encounters when I was rather young, and it just kind of started me on a, a lifelong quest of, of looking into things, and particularly things that uh, can't necessarily be explained away by science. There may be things that have a rational explanation, but sometimes not. So interesting. And found out along the way that uh, there's not many, if any, answers, but uh, it, if anything, it brought about more questions. So yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, got the idea to write all the stories down. I had that idea at my grandmother's funeral. thought, you know, every story I've ever heard from her in particular, it's, it's right there with her. And then I took that mantle upon myself to kind of pass them on. So I thought by writing them down, not only her, but other people. A lot of the stories in my first book, the majority of those people have passed on, but their their stories and their memories lived through my book. That's very interesting. So I'm curious what kind of experiences you had uh, growing up that kind of put you on this path, because I, I find that to be a common theme with people I talk to is that somewhere along the line, they had some personal experience that kind of shook them or kind of made them kind of experience a different way of thinking prior to what they had, you know, very, very few times do I talk to somebody who's, who's kind of into these topics and hasn't had their own personal experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, the, the very first one, the major experience, I was about six years old and I saw what appeared to be a small child run across the road at an angle down into her yard, tripped, fell down, and when he hit the ground, disappeared, gone. I was about maybe 100 feet away and went right to the spot. There's no kid there, no hole a kid could have fallen in. I know what I saw, but there was absolutely nothing there. And it didn't scare me so much as just it piqued my interest. Like, you know, what is that? that? That's not supposed to happen. Even at six, I knew. You know, little kids didn't run into the yard, fall down, and disappear, and just kind of went from there. And uh, a couple of years later, at eight years old, I ran into something in the woods that chased me that I couldn't see. I've, I've got a video about that on my channel called "The Thing in the Ditch," hmm. and uh, that that was one of the most frightening encounters that I've ever had. I encountered it again at fifteen. So, do you think it was the same thing at eight years old and fifteen years old? I believe so. It was in the same exact spot in the same exact conditions. Uh, originally, I'd, I'd walked up to the edge of this ditch that I found out later on had been the, the dirt road through the area during Revolutionary War times. And I kind of peered down into the ditch. It was maybe eight, ten feet down in there. It was out in the woods. Turned to walk away, and I heard something coming up out of the ditch. It sounded big and in a hurry as it came up over the, the crest and up to where I was. I couldn't see it, but I could see the effect on other things it was having. The leaves were kicking up. Uh, tree branches a lot higher than my head were being disturbed, but there was nothing there that I could see. And I think that was more frightening. If I could have seen something chasing me, that would have put a whole different dynamic on it. But whatever this was, totally invisible. And uh, I, I ran, screaming and crying. I was probably about a quarter mile from home. And uh, I was making so much racket, my mom came out on the back porch to see what all the, the fuss was. And I ran right past her and went inside and hid under the bed. And then uh, after my dad and brother got home from work, they went up there and looked around. And they could see where something big had been in there. And they were, you know, naming off things. Was it a deer? Was it a bear? And I kept saying, no, whatever it was, I couldn't see it. Mm. And then flash forward 
seven years later, we were getting ready to move from there. I was 15 at the time. And I was just kind of wandering around. We lived on 26 acres out in the country. And I was visiting all my little spots that I had in the woods there. Most of it was wilderness. There was only about five acres or so cleared off. So I went back to the ditch and I stood, looked down in there. And I was I wonder what that was that scared me when I was a kid. And just as I turned to walk away, same thing. I heard something running. It came up over the, the top of the ditch, headed straight for me. Again, couldn't see a thing, but I could see other things being affected by it. Same thing, tree limbs, uh, leaves kicking up. And uh, I didn't run screaming and crying that time, but I didn't waste any time getting out of there. And that, that was the last time I've ever been there and the uh, last time I ever experienced whatever that was. Now, several years after that, about five or six years, I was at a party in West Knoxville and it was one of those where I'd gone with somebody from work and I didn't really know them even well except from work. I didn't know anybody else at the party and some of the girls had pulled out a Ouija board they'd found under the couch and were playing with it. They were going around the room um, asking people questions and when they got to me I thought I've got a good one for you and again no no prior knowledge any of these people or anything I just said what scared me when I was a kid and the board spelled out W-A-T-E-R-S-P-R-I-T-E, water sprite. They looked at me like, I don't know. And they were laughing and saying, oh, maybe it's thirsty. It wants some water or it wants a sprite. But the next day, and this was in the days before the Internet, I went to the, the library in Oak Ridge. And I went to the reference library and said, what can you tell me about a water sprite or a water spirit? And she came up with a naiad. There, there's two elementals and fey folk like that. There's uh, the naiad, which is a guardian of water, and the dryad, which is a guardian of trees. And uh, the strange thing, where that happened, that ditch where that occurred, not more than, oh, 50, 75 yards from there, there are seven natural springs that come out of a hillside and flow into a bigger creek, which in turn flows into the lake. So according to the Ouija board, I encountered a, a water spirit <laughs> that chased me out of there. You feel like that's probably a pretty accurate description then? If I mean, have you done much research into that and, um, and back that up in any other uh, any other way? I've I've read considerably on it, and it, it makes sense in, in that regard, if you believe in that sort of thing, the, the fey and uh, elementals and, and that type of spirits and things. It, it makes just as much sense as anything else I could come up with because as far as I know, there are no invisible entities in the natural world that uh, chase kids out of the woods. So you obviously didn't see anything, but you, you could hear things. You could see trees and brush moving. And I, I imagine you felt something and that thing you felt was probably pretty scary, right? Yeah. It was like just a pure primal fight or flight type thing. And I, I didn't want to fight anything I couldn't see. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I had a very similar experience to that when I was probably 15 years old or so. I was walking in a in a nature trail by my house, and I was uh, going for a while uh, on a walk. And what happened to me was something very similar. And I kind of felt like somebody was kind of following me, kind of watching me, and then you know, kind of 
I don't know, kind of had my spidey senses going, I guess. And I would turn back and I would kind of see some brush moving. And after about the second time of that, I kind of started high stepping my way out of there. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would hear things. I would see the brush moving. I was like, okay, like there's an animal following me. You know, I could never see the animal. And it would be very unlikely for an animal to follow somebody around. I mean, I live in a pretty urban area too. We don't have wolves we don't really have bobcats coyotes badgers anything like that where i live but i can tell you how i felt and i was was scared to death you know i mean i don't know what it was but i just knew that whatever it was 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 kind of following me and it was it was not good yeah yeah that particular time i hadn't really felt like anybody was watching me or anything watching me but i have felt that uh particularly um, i've hiked a lot in the smokies and a lot on the appalachian trail from Georgia up through into the Virginias, but um, I've, I've felt that before in the woods where you get that eerie feeling like, you know, something's watching me, I don't know, whether it's a, a person or uh, there's some fairly large predators in the woods too, depending on where you're at. And then there's some other things out there that I don't know, don't fit into any of those categories. Yeah. What I've learned from doing this show and talking to people is that, there is a whole wide range of just weird things that we can't explain. And in the real, you know, the, the phenomena is real, but you know, the nature of phenomena being what it is, you'll never really be able to fully explain it. But it's, it's so interesting to me that there's something out there that cannot be proven. And it's almost like it doesn't want to be proven. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've heard other people talk about that. Hunters in particular will talk about, sometimes when the woods go absolutely quiet and uh the most profound experience of that i've had was in the smokies i was off trail i had been up to clingman's dome and was coming back and had just taken a different route but uh, everything it was like somebody had turned the volume down i couldn't hear wind i couldn't hear the water i couldn't hear the leaves it was like being in a vacuum i imagine and then it really caught my attention and I started getting that, you know, I need to get out of here type feeling. And then it sort of broke and it just, it was like the sounds just slowly came back. Then I could hear the birds and I could hear the wind in the trees and things, but it's, it's very disconcerting when it happens. Yeah. I can only imagine my interest in this topic kind of started not only from my own experiences, but I was, I had some downtime one time and I was reading a lot about these stories and there's a, there's an online forum. It's called survivalist board. And on that, they have a whole thread where it's just spooky stories from the woods and just hundreds of people are just writing in this forum about their stories. And I must've read every single one of them. And I, it just kind of blew my mind, you know, that people were having these experiences all over the country. And some of these were fairly mundane to uh, pretty extraordinary stories, really. And you always kind of have to wonder, but if you've had some of those kind of experiences, then you can kind of start picking out the ones that you think are most likely true because there's a lot of parallels to, to what you've experienced. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because I also recently watched a movie called uh, Missing 411, right? And there's two of those. There's Missing mm-hmm. 411 and there's Missing 411 The Hunted, where experienced hunters up and vanish in in national parks and forests and things like that. And not only do they vanish, uh, it's as if, and I don't even know how to explain it really. They don't just vanish and no, and no hide or hair is ever seen from them. They might vanish, but they might find their boots 
perfectly positioned in one spot, five miles from where they vanished. Five miles to the east, they might find their hat hanging on a branch on a tree, right? Or their backpack perfectly placed under a tree. And then five miles north of that, they might find their thermos and their wallet and their cell phone. Uh, And usually these people have all of their supplies. So they usually have like water or food left in their bags. Uh, And it's just so incredibly bizarre. And then they'll find their body a year and a half later in a spot that the rescuers have searched uh, 12, 13, 14 times, right? And Mm -hmm. sometimes they're naked, right? Sometimes they are partially clothed minus the gear that is missing for some reason. And that just really piqued my interest. So I wanted to talk to you because I know you've written a fair extent about some of these kind of things. Yeah, those some of those cases are just beyond belief, like you said, especially where they find the body at a point later in places that have already been searched. Makes absolutely no sense. And some of the circumstances, too, where there's no sign of any struggle, there's no sign of anybody being taken or even by another human or, or predator or anything. There's no blood, there's no disturbance. They're just gone. And uh, the, the first case that, that really caught my interest a long, long time ago was the Dennis Martin case in uh, the Great Smoky Mountains. There he disappeared out of Spence Field in the Caves Cove area. And the reason that stuck with me, I was right around the same age as Dennis when he disappeared. And that was my first introduction as, as a child of, of other children being able to go missing and then not be found. I remember hearing on the news that he was missing and they had this huge search effort going on. So I followed that for days and weeks. I even had a little uh, scrapbook that I kept when I was a kid, newspaper clippings and things. And just uh, no sign of him was ever found other than possibly one footprint. And they're not even sure that was his. And, you know, where did he go? And then it just, it boggles the mind. And there's so many other cases like that. When you start looking into the, the ones that fit that missing 411 profile. There's there's a lot of coincidences there, a lot of unusual circumstances. Uh, boulder fields uh, tend to be involved. Um, berries, a lot of people have gone missing picking berries. Um, and just, it's, it's fascinating. And it's a phenomenon just throughout the country and really the world. I know there's cases in Canada and there's in other countries too. But if, if you look at the map where uh, David Politis says those clusters occur, those are also areas that have the most uh, underground cave systems. You have uh, both the coasts and then um, certain parts of the Midwest. And then there's like a streak down through the middle there where there's almost no disappearances and there's no caves there. So I don't know what the correlation there is, if there's something or someone in those caves that, that takes people, but whatever it is, it, it does it with a hundred percent success. Seems like. Yeah. And it's almost instant too. Cause it's usually the case of, you know, a child or a person can be seen one second and then the next second, just poof, they're gone. Yeah. As Dennis's father watched him step behind a, a clump of brush. Uh, the other kids were playing hide and seek or scared the adults or something and uh, never came out of the clump of brush. And, that was the last time his father saw him. That's been 50-something years ago now. Uh, the father passed away a couple of years ago on Halloween, and I just I thought that would be the most terrible thing, not to have any closure, not you know, not to find a body. Or uh, He'd always said that he expected 
person to show up on the, the porch someday and say, Hey, I'm, I'm Dennis, you know, I've been wherever, but uh, sadly it never happened. But, and then it goes back, there's data and cases back into the 1800s of people going missing like that. And uh, some of the others in the smoking, uh, smoky areas, uh, great smokies, uh, Trini Gibson disappeared in the seventies, teenager from uh, Bearden high school. She walked just ahead of her friends on the trail, went around the corner, never seen again. And then there was an older lady, I can't think of her name right now, went missing from the Smokies in the 80s. Same thing. She was walking with a couple of friends, walked ahead on the trail just a little bit, around a bend, gone, never seen or heard from again. So whatever, it is, if it is something or somebody that's taking people, it's it's watching and it, it knows when to, when to to try it because, uh, and, and, you know, there's no screams, there's no, and nothing really left behind that would indicate any kind of struggle. And you think if, if something or someone's grabbing people, uh, especially if it was a predator, if it was a bear or a mountain lion or something like that, there's going to be screams, there's going to be blood, there's going to be, you know, clothing ripped up, something, but nothing. I think that's one of the things that makes it so perplexing is a lack of evidence. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't think of a single a single real uh, plausible explanation. You know, I, mean, I can kind of throw some things out there, but really I would just be guessing, you know, and, and it's almost as these people are plucked out of nowhere by aliens, right? And then deposited somewhere later. Mm-hmm. And you know, I have no reason to suspect that's actually what happened, but, you know, I mean, that's just kind of what seems like it happened. And then some of the, the smaller children that are found will usually be found uphill from where they disappeared and sometimes miles over mountains on maybe another mountain over. And, you know, a small child doesn't have the ability just from a physiological standpoint to handle that kind of hike. And a lot of times they're barefoot, but uh, no evidence of uh, cuts or anything on the feet. So, yeah, it seems like something just zips them up, like you said, and then places them back down some ways away. And that's happened to adults as well. And then you also have some of these really interesting cases where kids that have gone missing that uh, claim that a bear took care of them or um, it was a little boy, uh, Casey, I can't remember his last name that uh, claimed that a bear fed him berries and, and kept him warm at night. And he was missing for two or three days, I think. And then there was another little boy that went missing on Mount Shasta in California that turned back up and said that uh, he had encountered what he thought was his grandmother, but then it turned out to be a robot. And it took him into a cave and uh, tried to get him to defecate on a piece of paper. And just this long involved story, you know, more than you'd think of, of four or five-year-old kid could make up and uh, said that eventually she just she took him back. And the only way they found out about that is when he was talking to his actual grandmother, he said, I like you better than the other grandmother. And <laughs> she's like, what other grandmother? And he's like the robot grandmother that was in the cave when I was lost. <laughs> wow. So there's, there's some strange, strange stories out there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so incredibly fascinating in, I I have no explanation for any of it other than to say like it almost has to be supernatural just the way that these cases happen you know the one the two that really piqued my interest like on that movie the uh, missing four one one was one 
the child was drug up a mountain, like almost straight up a mountain. And it was rocks. And, you know, they say, okay, you must have been a bobcat. But, you know, his clothes weren't torn and his shoes were like still kind of new-ish, right? Because the kid had been missing for three years, but it didn't look like his clothes had been out in the wilderness for three years, you know, and if a, a bobcat would have drugged this kid up by his his neck or something like that, then, you know, his shoes would be all scuffed up and they, and they weren't. Uh, there wasn't any blood on his clothing. So it's just like he stepped into a portal and then all of a sudden, poof, he was a mile and a half away up the side of a mountain. Mm-hmm. You know, and, the, and that second kid, he in the 60s, he went missing from his childhood home and they found him like five miles away in the snow. Uh, and he had no recollection of how he got there, you know, and he might've walked five or six miles in the snow by himself, but you know, they didn't find any tracks to support that, you know, and he had no idea how he got there. And that's, that's common with adults that have gone missing too, that they don't have any recollection of what happened or, why they just sort of came to and were in a different spot or um, don't remember what happened when they were gone. So it's interesting. And there's, I've heard all kinds of theories from aliens to Bigfoot to uh, predator type creatures, like from the movie predator, the things that are able to somehow cloak themselves. And I'm, I'm hearing a lot of those stories lately. Um, I do a channel with Bill Melder called missing persons and mysteries on YouTube and we've gotten a lot of reports of people that have seen these translucent beings. It looks, you can see the silhouette of a humanoid figure, but you can see through it and see things behind it. It's like looking through pretty compared to Saran wrap or like heat waves coming off a pavement. Yeah. What is that? Where'd that come from? Is that our technology or some sort of alien technology or, yeah, no, that's a great question, you know, and it's it's hard to tell. Bruce Maccabee's wife was talking about that in the movie. And Bruce Maccabee is one of the premier, um, you know, UFO researchers on the planet. And, you know, he was briefly featured in that movie because his wife had a, an experience with one of those entities, if you can call it an entity, while she was hunting one day in the forest. And this would be, I think, Ohio, I believe, is where they lived. And she said she was hunting and then she, she saw something in the woods and it, and it kind of moved and she could see kind of a weird silhouette, you know, like you're, like you're saying, like looking through Saran wrap and uh, she saw it moving from tree to tree, just like in the movie predator. So it makes you wonder that was that movie, was that predictive programming or was it conditioning for something that we already have? That's secret, some sort of black ops or something or other, or it's, it's amazing sometimes how things in movies will occur later on in life. And it makes you wonder, you know, if, if they knew about that back then when that was made, what did the military have? Where does, and a lot of the, the movies go through some sort of liaison from the military. And uh, there's, there's things that they like included and things that they don't. Yeah. Again, Operation Mockingbird, you know, the uh, CIA had developed techniques to uh, implant ideas, philosophies, and propaganda into foreign news outlets. And uh, there's no reason to think the same exact thing didn't happen here. Uh, So I'm of the opinion that there are no coincidences, really. Uh, Not when you get down to it. Not very often, anyway. Not a true coincidence, but... What's also interesting is, 
in the UFO theory, the UFOs that people see are generally a few steps ahead of whatever's going on in the culture. So ancient people saw them as kind of like orbs or shields. And then in the 1800s, people saw them as dirigibles, right? Before uh, airplanes existed, before we really had hot air balloons. Now we see them as, you know, flying saucers or triangles. And it's like the phenomenon knows where we're at technologically and knows what we're going to be like in like three or four generations. And that's kind of what it appears to be to people. You know, it, it, it's always almost like a foreshadowing. Yeah, no, I agree. And heard that that's, you know, predictive programming or what have you, but either way it, it tends to follow just like you laid out there from one type of, uh, people to the next and, and what they see. And the, the thing about the UFOs that knows no cultural boundaries or anything. It's any country, any civilization that you can dig up. They had some sort of unexplained aerial phenomenon. Yeah. That's, what's really interesting about this. You know, it'd be easy to explain this as American 1950s pop culture gone awry, but you know, it didn't start there and it hasn't ended there. And it is so much wider in scope than just American pop culture. It's, it's all over the world. It is a legitimate phenomenon, you know, and everybody has their, their cryptids, if you will, the little predator monsters, the skinwalkers, uh, the you name it. And local legends, they're all over the place. But what's interesting is that, you know, they're all over the place. Yeah, I found that out in, in my travels doing research and things that any little community that you go into, especially in the South, you've got uh, ghost stories. You've got at least one uh, crybaby bridge type thing where mm. uh, a lady threw a child off the bridge for whatever reason. And you can hear the baby crying down in the water or you can encounter the entity of the woman searching for the baby, sometimes both. And uh, vanishing hitchhikers, those appear all over the world, I think. I've, I've heard some of those. Um, I travel a lot in Southeast Asia. And uh, just a lot of the same stories just fitted to the local circumstances. And yeah. uh, no no boundaries to that. And the same like with the, the Sasquatch, or the Bigfoot, or the Yeti, or whatever you want to call it. Again, that's it's throughout the world. Every, every culture seems to have their hairy hominid type creature there. Yeah, and you know, and if it's not that, then it's it's some kind of human creature, right? That looks like they're human, but maybe they're not quite human, right? Cause they're able to do things or be places or appear places. And I had an experience with one of those that was very strange and I still don't know what to really make of it. So my, uh, my friend and I were walking through the woods, you know, where we lived at the time and we came across the, a weird field of some kind and, you know, a structure and, you know, kind of turn around and said, we better get out of here. We're trespassing. We don't get in trouble. We get back to the road and then there's a guy standing on the road. We're like, okay, you know, maybe he's the property owner. So, you know, we were 12 or whatever we were. And so we kind of just take off walking down the road towards the way home. And this guy kind of starts just following us down this dirt road. You know, it's a very rural area and he's gaining speed on us. Right. And this, it's like, this guy has He's, he's fast, you know, and he's just walking like he's not running. And so we start walking faster and then we start running. <laughs> we get to our driveway and we get about halfway down this driveway, which was 
about a quarter mile long, I feel like. And he stops at the end of the driveway and he's just staring at us and very spooky car comes out of nowhere, the opposite direction stops at our driveway. He gets in the car and leaves. And it was also very strange because we felt like no matter how fast we ran, this guy just walking, you know, with a normal stride was just gaining ground on us until we got to where we were going and then he was gone. And this was the days before cell phones, you know, so for him to be able to coordinate that pickup of the, uh, the SUV was just, it was really uncanny, but you know, it was, it was just weird enough to make you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You hear about things like that and encounters with people and got all kinds of entities out there. There's a hat man and there's a grinning man. Um, heard recently about flannel man, which is a guy that's uh, dressed up like a lumberjack that's been encountered. And he, he seems to be sort of a benevolent being, but then I've heard stories of him scaring people too. Um, I don't know. There's just, there's so much out there. And I think our, our world's gotten so much smaller because of the internet and the stories are coming more to the fore. You're hearing a lot more than you normally would because it just gives people a platform to tell their stories. I know on our channel and we'll, we'll tell a certain particular tale and then people, you know, that happened to me, but I've never talked to anyone about it or, and then you have those people. Well, I don't, really believe in the paranormal, but there was this one time and then they go and tell you this fantastic tale and it's like, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's paranormal. Yeah. So do you have a, I guess a theory as to what you think is kind of the nature and origin of this kind of stuff? You think it's just all random or do you think that there's anything kind of overarching that you can classify this whole realm of experience under? Yeah, well, I, I do believe it's it's the majority of it is of a supernatural origin, and what that is, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, depending on who you read and what you listen to, uh, I've heard a lot of uh, people that are into the the older religions cite Pan, excuse me, as um, he's known as the trickster and a prank player. And then you, you have that in your, your other cultures too, particularly your Native American cultures. You have Loki and, and things like that, that that play pranks on human. But then that, that opens up a whole other can of worms there, if you will. The, the Native Americans, they have a legend for every single thing under the sun that you can think of, every plant, every animal. But then they have a lot of legends that uh, they don't even talk about. Yeah, skinwalkers is, uh, is one of them, so... You know, this uh, podcast is Skinwalker Radio, mm-hmm. and I got my start with this podcast in particular by interviewing a guy who spent you know, six years on Skinwalker Ranch, you know, and that's not something I've I've talked about enough, but, you know, the, the day is coming where, you know, we will be talking about that again, so if you're listening, just stay tuned. It's going to happen. It's just the time needs to be right. But anyway, Skinwalkers are just those uh, benevolent or malevolent, uh, shape-shifting beings that, you know, this is very prevalent in the Native American culture, but they don't talk about it. You know, I spoke on the phone with another guy who was a, a Native American guy from that area, and he said, you know, it's real. It happened to me. It scared the living shit out of me, but we don't talk about it. And mm-hmm. it's just one of those things that we don't talk about. Yeah, I've heard a lot of the, the Cherokee legends like that. The elders will admonish you for even talking about They feel that 
just thinking about it even can draw it to you and it's not something you want to draw to you and that's things like um spearfinger which is a legend there in the smokies uh which was a witch that uh, has a blade of obsidian for one finger and use it to remove people's liver kind of like a skinwalker she can take on the form of uh, a loved one to kind of lure you off into the woods uh they have uh, the raven mockers they have all these things and a lot of those they will not even discuss and it's almost like a topa type thing where if you you think about it and put energy into it you can bring it forth and summon it to you so i, I understand that concept of it and, and why there's particularly that the elders are reticent to talk about it yeah you know and there's a lot of truth into that you know everybody i talk to will basically say that and people i think people intuitively know it but they don't know how to necessarily communicate it at all times you know in the in the christian tradition it's that's a very real thing right you know the Bible talks ad nauseum about, you know, uh, demons and things of that nature and then how to guard yourself and how to, you know, get rid of those kind of things. But mm-hmm. I do think that there's a spiritual component to it, but I do think that that spiritual component is a little more fluid than what we think. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, yeah, same with the, the biblical things that it talks about, you know, the things like that only have the power that you give to them over you. So, can look at it that way and then you have uh things that have started out as as pure fiction like um oh uh, the, <laughs> i lost my train of thought there the, the guy on the internet um slender man mm, yeah that uh but again it's one of those things where there's been so much creepy pastas and just made up stories and there was a game and things written about it that people actually began seeing it and then you have the two little girls one place that we're going to murder another little girl as a sacrifice to stick. I mean, where, where would a kid even get that kind of idea? Right. And uh, one of the weirdest cases that I've ever read about was uh, Walter Gibson, the guy that wrote the old uh, shadow pulp stories and uh, radio plays back in the thirties and forties. People would report seeing a figure dressed like Lamont Cranston, which was the, the actual name of the person that was the shadow. And, um, and Walter would say, yeah, that that's really him. And he called it a psychic impression. And he said that he thought what it was because he literally spent so much blood, sweat and tears writing these stories. The man was phenomenal. Just the amount of work that he cranked out, he would have like five or six typewriters set up at once and write several different things going from typewriter to typewriter to typewriter. So out of these hundreds of stories, he claimed that he created a psychic impression of this being and it actually materialized and people would see it in his home and things. Hmm. I believe that's true. Personally, I think that, uh, I think that there is the realm that we live in. And I think that there's another realm that we don't see. And in that realm we don't see, there's, uh, there's good and then there's bad. And I think that the good is almost never seen, but it is there. And I think it, it does help just in an unseen way. But I also know that the bad, for whatever reason, is seen. And I think it has the ability to appear as pretty much whatever it wants to appear as. And mm-hmm. I think it'll use whatever kind of disguise it thinks will work for whatever purpose it hopes to achieve. Mm-hmm. 
No, then again, that points to the, the biblical and the, the familiar spirits and things that can, you know, it, it could appear as a loved one to make you think that it's helping you, or it could appear to something that you're terrified of to, to scare the pants off of you. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's all very interesting. So in your book, you talk about a bunch of different stories like this, uh, and you try to find, you know, the, the links and the parallels. Is, is that about right? Um. Yeah, not, not so much. I, I didn't really put a lot of research into the stories because a lot of them were, were one-offs. It was things that was experienced one time in one particular area. And it's mainly just to, to tell the tales. Um, but it's, it's one of those things that I think everybody has a story. And some people had several. And said most of these people have passed on. And, and this is kind of their legacy. But it's it was people that were either family or close family, friends, people that I knew to be sober and not trying to just, you know, make up stories or anything. A lot of times it wasn't that easy to get them to talk about it just out of fear of ridicule. And then once they saw that I was genuinely interested, they would, would open up a little more, but other times and then drag it out of them with a log chain. But uh, it's just, it's one of those things. I think if there is a theme other than being things that happened in the woods, that it's that there are things out there that don't have any rational or reasonable explanation. Now there are some in there that that do have an explanation. Uh, one in particular was a story called "The Light in the Coffin." This happened back in the, the '30s. A guy had been uh, dating a girl, lived some ways away, courting, as they called it back then, and uh, he'd been at her house after church on Sunday, sitting on the porch, whatever. It's getting late, time to go home. Farm life starts early. So instead of going down the road, which would have taken him even longer, he decides to take a shortcut through the woods. And in doing so, he sees a coffin with a light in it. Well, particularly in Appalachia, there are, there are signs and warnings and portents and omens. So he sees this, and it, it really scares him. He runs home, goes in, and wakes everybody up, tells them what he saw, and... Um, Excuse me. And his his mother was probably somebody like my grandmother, very superstitious. And she's like, you know, oh, it's a warning. Somebody's going to die. You know, it's a, it's a sign. And uh, basically shook up the whole household. And this guy's afraid, you know, he's done for. Well, the father had a little more reason to him. And he said, come on, we're going to go find this coffin with a light in it. So he, he gets the boy, he takes him out. And they go back to the spot, and sure enough, there they see the light off in the woods. The, the boy stays there. The father goes closer in to investigate. All of a sudden, he starts laughing. He's like, son, I want you to come here. I want you to see your light in the coffin. And what it was, it was a, a hollow tree that had fallen. <clears throat> Sorry, I got a tickle in my throat. <clears throat> and uh, there was a spider web in the, the hollow log there and a lightning bug firefly had gotten <laughs> caught in the web. So, you know, the guy's imagination of being scared going through the woods, it was a coffin with a light in it. That's awesome. And he said that he felt like if his dad hadn't taken him back and shown him what it really was, that he probably would have died from fear just from working himself up to the point of thinking he was going to die that he would have, but not all the story. I mean, that's one of the, the few that, that do have some sort of explanation. A lot of the stuff just defies any explanation. Like, uh, one of my favorites out of the book is a, a flying organ. This happened uh, again back in the 20s or the 30s. A couple of farm boys out in the middle of the woods 
uh, cooling their feet in the creek after day's chores, heard what sounded like an old pump organ, church organ, coming up the hollow where they were at, past overhead, cloudless sky, and this was before, you know, any kind of airplane or anything would have been over the air, and I don't know why anybody would have an organ in one anyway. They could hear the tune, didn't recognize the tune, but they could tell it was actually playing some sort of song, went right over their head and then on up the hollow where they were, over the ridge and out of hearing. What on earth was that? You know, that's... (laughs) There's a lot of stories like that, and they're just weird, weird things that they, they never heard it again, didn't see anything, but heard it till it was out of earshot. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, you, you brought up a good point. If that guy's dad didn't ever take him back, he would have he would have never known. But I wonder how many of those stories have an answer like that that people just never find. Yeah, that that's possibility, and that's the the fun side of it. You know, you can think of all these different theories and things, but you never know what's right and what's not, or sometimes there just there is no explanation. As Charles Fort said, one measures a circle beginning anywhere, so you can look at it from several different sides there and and maybe never find an answer. And that's I think to me, that's a lot of the fun. If if we had hard and fast answers, if we knew UFOs are this and Bigfoot is that, it would take a lot of the mystery out of it. And I like being able to to search knowing that it's going to cause more questions. No, I agree. I, you know, I love a good mystery and I would be probably pretty bored if, you know, everything had answers and I would, I would run out of things to talk about. You know, that's why I like uh, this podcast. That's why I liked reading, you know, the Hobbit growing up and watching all those mm-hmm. uh, mystery movies and adventure movies. You know, I mean, I, I think there's something in our psyche that longs for a good mystery. Absolutely. And uh, I think that's just part of of man's part of our makeup in our DNA is just to question things and to wonder about things because we know there's there's things out there different than us and bigger than us and you know where do we come from and there's there's so many past a conjecture there and that's I think it's just in our nature to to wonder about things particularly things that you know, we can't see or hear or feel or touch necessarily with our, our normal senses. Yep, absolutely. So what's the name of your book again? Uh, the, the book is uh, Strange Things in the Woods, and that's available on uh, Amazon, and uh, it's available in um, an ebook and paperback, and it just came out as an audible audiobook. And then I have a second book called My Strange World. And uh, the way that one came about, after the first book came out, um, I started doing a lot of shows like this, radio shows and, and things. And either the host or if there were callers, they would invariably ask, well, you know, these are great stories. Have you ever had any experiences? So I would tell one tale or another things that I'd actually experienced. And uh, I started thinking about that. I thought, you know, I've probably got enough for a book. And I did. And that's that's what my strange world is. That's my own personal encounter. So just some of them. I've had a a life of weird encounters. And I don't know so much that I'm good at finding things like that or if it finds me. I've heard people say that before that, you know, when I go to a house, the house isn't haunted. I'm the one that's haunted because, you know, if if there's some kind of weird energy or weird something there, it'll interact with me. And I've I've always been that way. So, yeah, that's very interesting. I I can relate to that. You know, I, and I could speak to that quite a bit, but I know we're coming up uh, on time uh, so if you if you want to continue this conversation, you know, I'd be happy to come on your show because I think we have a lot more to discuss, you know, kind of that last topic you mentioned. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'd love to have you on as a guest sometime. I uh, occasionally do a live stream on either Friday or Saturday nights where I have somebody come on and talk free form like this. Um, sometimes we'll spend a couple of hours. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have you as a guest sometime. Yeah, that'd be great. So, yeah, you have a YouTube channel and you have a website? Uh, no, don't have a website now. I have uh, the YouTube channel, Missing Persons and Mysteries, and then I have my own channel, um, 13 Past Midnight, which is more the occult, paranormal, supernatural, true stories over there. Okay. So Missing Persons, Mysteries, we get a little bit into the Bigfoot and Dogman and Shadow People on there, but the majority of that kind of stuff is on 13 Past Midnight. Awesome. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. That sounds right up my alley. Well, thank you for being on the show and, uh, and coming on and talking about some of the stories. It's been really, uh, it's been really awesome to talk to you about, about these weird missing people because, I don't know, I mean, maybe we'll figure it out someday, but it's unlikely. <laughs> and, and then if we do, there'll be something else we don't know about that we can pursue after that. So. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been a pleasure, Seth. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Skinwalker Radio. We have a lot of fun bringing you guys this program. It's something we're really passionate about, and I know you guys are too. So let us know how we're doing. Leave us a review on Apple, uh, Google, Spotify, anywhere you're listening. Give us five stars if you like the show. Uh, If you want to leave a written review, that would help a lot. That will help us reach new people who might be interested in the show, which helps us land awesome guests that can bring really cool stories for you guys to listen to. Join us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, and we have a Facebook private group that's also linked to that page. I'll put all that stuff in the show notes so it's easy for you guys to get a hold of us. Uh, you can also email us at skinwalkerradio at gmail.com and check out the website at www.skinwalkerradio.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.